Good morning, everyone, and welcome to, I believe, the 92nd edition of the Men's Mental Health Show. I'm your host, uh, and I'm joined, Brad Spillane. I'm joined every week, of course, uh, by my mate and co-host, uh, the wizard, psychotherapist, Bodie Marsden. Boaster, good morning. We've had a brief introduction already through Ron's breakfast show and yes. all the Australian music show, uh, which is quite nice of him. And uh, But how you been otherwise, mate? How's, how's things with you at the moment? Uh, gosh. A dear friend passed away um, uh, in New Zealand, um, Zina, um, and uh, we worked together in um, among young people and um, the emergent uh, Maori uh, development um, or kind of renaissance um, at all those all many many levels, um, and she was a key player, Zina. and um, ended up writing a poem uh, because she uh, was one of those rare. Uh, Maori women um, with uh, um, she had no categorizations. Um, she just uh, her soul spoke to everything that she came across, right. including us Pakeha. So yeah. um, you know, forged a strong relationship. So many many memories yeah. of her, such a vivid personality, keen intellect. Yeah. So yeah, I'm think I'm, I'm remembering. Um, uh, and she inspired us, uh, inspired many, many of mm. us working in the in the community development field. Mm. Um, and you were and working a lot with uh, the gangs. Uh, I was working with Auckland, yeah, yeah, all yeah, sorts yeah, of well, uh, many, many sort of mm. theatres of, um, uh, of, <laughs> of, of of human life, if yeah. you like. Yeah. Um, and uh, she, yeah. Um, so yeah, if we have time, I'll read the poem. I'd out. love you to. Yeah, yeah that'd be yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Well, we've. Um, of course, we're brought to you each week uh, by my good mates, uh, Dale Hunt from Mounties Group and, and also to um, all manufacturing personnel, uh, proprietary limited personnel, uh, recruitment and labour hire company. You can give Craig a call if you're looking for a job in the manufacturing industry on 0416 700 870 or give me a call, Spillo, on 0404 077 666. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but I'm really excited. In fact, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I... I I left and I thought I'm a little bit manic, which happens with me when I don't. The less sleep I get, the more manic I get, and I haven't been manic for some time. But I think it's a lot to do with the energy of having this chat come on today because there's so much uh, to talk about, and and I'm so honoured to, and I mean that, I'm proud to to sit amongst uh, Thanks, in front of you, mate. I mean that because yeah, cheers. Um, everything that um, that you do in your crust, uh, but but also too, you're you're a remarkable man outside of of, of being a paramedic and, and an illustrator, and, and mm. so much goes on in the life of Christian Mortensen. Good yeah. morning. Good morning. Uh, hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm very uh, gratified to be here, and thank you for the invitation. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Cheers, that, man. That's quite a spiel I have to, have to live up to, but, you know. <laughs> I can sometimes I can, I can roll it off, but not all the time. <laughs> I need to be manic more often, don't I? Yeah. Uh, but... Um, Hey, look, look, what we do normally when we get some people, uh, get our guests or that come on is, is we just start, I guess, from from the background. Of, it's, give us, what was your childhood yeah. like? Where'd you grow up? And um, Well, uh, I'm originally from Melbourne. Right. I grew up, uh, I was born in the late 60s and grew up in the 70s and 80s in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess I had an unusual upbringing in that uh, one of, well, my mother is a school teacher. Uh, that's uh, and, a, and a lovely and uh, and very um, adept teacher that she is in the humanities. Um, my father is a uh, an Australian sculptor and artist, 
And uh, when I was very young, they separated, and I lived between the two houses, between my mother's house and my father's house. So I had uh, a sort of a dual upbringing, uh, which somewhat suited my Gemini personality. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So um, my mother was a a single mum and looking after my brother and I uh, and teaching at the same time, and we actually ended up as students in her school at Mount Scopus College in Melbourne. How was that? Uh, that was a little bit awkward at times yeah. uh, through yeah. primary school. She was a high school teacher, but I spent my primary school there at Mount Scopus. Right. And, um, but, and then on the weekends, I spent those, the weekends with my dad. And my dad is uh, uh, Kevin Mortensen. He's a, he's a very uh, unusual and talented <laughs> creative man. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We, had an, uh, we had an unusual... I guess he's like a hippie. You know, right, yeah. and uh, and a very creative man at that. Yeah, uh, yeah. he's still working to this day. Uh, wow. every day yeah, uh, wow. he's in his mid eighties now, and wow, still uh, working, still working making art. Um, maybe not the big sculpture anymore, uh, yeah. but uh, he was doing performance, and he did things like he went and represented Australia at the Venice Biennale, the big art exhibition, the international art exhibition in nineteen eighty. Uh, He got arrested uh, while he was there for his performance where he performed (laughs) naked uh, as part of his art. art. Bodie would do that. Yeah, you know, who hasn't performed (laughs) naked? That's That's exactly right. Um, And it was an unusual unusual upbringing in that uh, he had some unusual concepts about about life. I remember, if I can just relate a quick story, when I was about uh, maybe seven... I arrived one weekend with my brother to see my dad and uh, he said, uh, Christian, I've had a really uh, unusual thing, something really special has happened this week. And I said, oh, what? And he said, I was meditating and uh, you know how you can hear the frogs uh, down at the creek? Mm. And I said, yeah. And, you know, in fact, there were frogs. I was listening. Mm. There were frogs sort of fro- mm. um, croaking as, as he was telling me this story. Well, as I was meditating, I realised that the frogs were sending me a message. They were saying something. Right. I go, and I sort of immediately, I was like, well, what? And he said, what the frog said was, are you ready? I am God. Huh. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> and I thought about it. Yeah. And I was like, it sort of really piqued my interest. Uh, and I said, well, and he said, do you, what do you think about that? I said, well, I guess, well, if God is everywhere, the frogs are God as well. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah, said, great exactly, answer. Yeah. you know. So uh, it was a little bit of a, it was a kind yeah. of a little bit of a profound moment. Yeah. Anyway, about uh, two or three months after that, as a, I think I was in grade two right. uh, in primary school, and we had Jewish studies, and uh, the Jewish studies teacher uh, proposed the question to the class as he's talking about the Old Testament and where Judaism came from. Right. said, um, who can tell me what God is? And I, I knew straight away. <laughs> oh, here we go. And, uh, you know, other <laughs> students, you know, sort of put up their hands and... He pointed, you know, to Natasha and she said, uh, it's, uh, you know, God has created the heavens and the earth. And he said, good. And then, you know, he pointed to David and David's, you know, you know, God, you know, created the, you know, light and, you know, the, the heavens. And he said, yes. And, he got to and, uh, Johnny. and you, Christian, what, what do you, and I said, my dad says that God is in the frogs. Mm. And <laughs> at that point, Wonderful. the teacher and the class erupted into yeah. laughter. Yeah. Um, and I, I was stunned, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was kind of dumbfounded, like, uh, what's so funny? Yeah, yeah. And so, of course, I said, uh, but, but the frogs told him. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> and then I just remember the teacher doubled over, crying with laughter, uh, and uh, everyone rolling, falling off their desks uh, and rolling on the ground, and, and me just sort of red-faced yeah. and sort of sweating, just going, what was so funny about that? <laughs> so uh, quite, quite a confusing childhood. <laughs> an amusing <laughs> childhood. Um, wow. Oh, anyway, well. that uh, I realised at that point that was probably uh, somewhat my upbringing was somewhat different to some different. of the other kids. Yes, well, <laughs> that's right. That would be a conclusion, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. it, it's so interesting those moments when something happens that is totally unexpected, and where do you go with that? You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm sort of I was I'd be wondering mm. what you did with that. Mm. Um, oh, well, um, I was embarrassed yeah, at the time. At the time, yeah, yeah I was yeah, embarrassed yeah, and yeah. didn't. And then in latter years, yeah. obviously, it's very funny. Yes. And I love telling that story yeah. as an example of sort of growing up and in an art That's family a, yeah. and what that means, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's a wonderful uh, uh, a moment where humour um, uh, doesn't destroy or bully, um, no, but it kind of creates um, a sense of amazement at the yeah. humour in life, <laughs> isn't it? That's saturated in life. Yeah. And, you know, and to this day, I just love frogs. <laughs> I, love the, I love the call of the frog. You know, and uh, I haven't heard, I haven't got that message directly myself, right. but I know that God, well, yes, God well, everyone, is in the Everyone gets a nickname on the Men's Mental Health Show, and I reckon we've worked out what yours is, okay, Kermit? Kermit. <laughs> For sure, why not? Uh, I'll take that. Um, so anyway, so uh, that was sort of primary school. In high school, I went to... Melbourne Boys High School, which was a, a, a high school in the centre of Melbourne. Mm. Um, and I really appreciated the, that as a change. It was a boys' school. Um, and I immediately felt a sense of camaraderie with the other students there. Mm. It was a selective school. You had to sit an exam to get in. Um, so I felt like I was, it was quite special being there. I'd actually achieved something by getting into this particular school. And they had, um, you know, things like cadets. They had a rifle range. They had oh, wow. uh, sport. You could go rowing. Uh, I was in the air cadets for a while. Um, uh, there was a lot of singing. We did a lot of massed singing and those songs that we used yeah. to sing with mm. every assembly. Mm. I still remember them today. And wow. yeah. when we have yeah, our school reunions, well. yeah. we get together and, you know, sing, sing, some those, of them. Yeah. sing those songs, how, how good uh, which is a great feeling. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I went through high school there and... Yeah. And at that stage, I really didn't know... I wanted to go to university, didn't really have a clear idea of what I wanted to do. But my father and his work, he was sort of interested... We often talked about anthropology and archaeology yeah. and ancient history and philosophy and things like that. Right. So when I left school, I ended up at Melbourne Uni and ended up doing a degree of uh, Bachelor of the Arts, uh, specialising in anthropology and, and ancient history. Wow. Fascinating. Um, which, you know, so I did some art history, did a lot of ancient history, yeah. uh, anthropology and that sort of thing. And then while I was there, I also ended up getting into student theatre, which was, which was a big scene in Melbourne, yeah. in, uh, at Melbourne Uni yeah, and course. in Melbourne uh, in the 80s. Yeah. And uh, Kate Blanchett, she was yeah. there at Melbourne yeah. Uni as well yeah. at the same time, yeah. starting Tony, student, Tony student theatre. as well. Yeah. yeah, she did all right, apparently. Yeah. Uh, just, just quietly. Just, just quietly, yeah. she did all right. Six Oscar nominations yeah. so far. And, <laughs> and yeah, something like that. <laughs> Um, so, but yeah, met a great group of people who uh, yeah. I'm still friends with today. Wow. Uh, I've tried to keep in contact with with quite a few of them where possible. Good. Even though they're in yeah. Melbourne, I'm up here in in New South Wales. And uh, yeah, so I went through uni, um, and by the end of my uh, university degree, or while I was there, actually, 
one of the things I ended up doing was having to uh, make some money, uh, yeah. teach, and what I ended up doing was teaching uh, first aid with the Red Cross. Right. Okay. So this so is this your first step. This into is my first medicine. step into in, medicine. Yeah. Um, and I had done a first aid course that I needed to do for job application in outdoor education, and uh, anyway, I I really liked it. I enjoyed doing the course, and they offered me a job teaching. So wow. I took that up, and I started teaching. I did that for a quite a, a few years. And then in the early 90s, I was right into cycling and I thought I would like to cycle around Australia. Wow. Really? <clears throat> on my push bike. So I packed up well, my... pedal power? Yeah, well, pedal power. Well, I mean, we've all, as a youngster, we've all had those, mm. you know, those ideas. But did you actually... Well, I, had, uh, I did some smaller trips around right. Victoria. Uh, with my partner at the time and right. had a great time of it yeah. and I really enjoyed it. Uh, had some yeah. adventures along the way, got chased by dogs and things yeah, like yeah, that, you know, in, in, <laughs> you know, down some back streets. Um, and I thought, well, look, why don't I like to set myself a, a goal, a challenge. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is something I could probably do. So I got myself set up and said, had a farewell party to all my Melbourne friends and uh. And I headed off. Yeah. And I left Melbourne and very quickly realised it was bloody hard. Yeah. Wow. Bloody hard going, not just mm. physically, but psychologically. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Um, absolutely. And it was really, you know, being by myself on the bike. Uh, it was uh, midsummer, um, and it was lonely. And, yeah. and I got about maybe three or four hundred kilometres on, right. fi- on a heavily loaded push bike. It was yeah. like I had panniers and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't sitting well with me. And I thought, I'm going to have to rethink all this. This is the first time in your life, I beg your pardon for interrupting, in your life where you've been alone. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, really alone. Quite a spiritual time for you, really. Yeah, a spiritual time. And feeling conflicted. I'd left my relationship with my partner, which was great at the time, and felt a sense of loneliness about that. And and in addition to physical exhaustion, at the end of the day... um, Poses a lot of questions. Yeah, there's some, you know, like uncertainty about, you know, Mm. where am I going to stay? Will I get there? Because on a push bike, you can't just drive and and get somewhere. Like, you really, it's the weather, it's headwinds, it's hills, it's all sorts of stuff. So what I ended up doing was I ended up um, stopping the trip, coming back to Melbourne on the train, and feeling really deflated. And uh, what I did was my partner was very supportive and she said, just, you need to just rethink how you go about this. Maybe plan it a little more methodically and set yourself some smaller goals. And uh, I did that and then I set out again. So I set out again and I ended up cycling across Victoria, up the coast of New South Wales, and I ended up here in the Blue Mountains, um, which took me probably about a month and a half in total. Um, Wow. Now, when I got up here, uh, I, I ended up in Katoomba, at one of the hostels in Katoomba, yeah. and all around us I saw cliff line wherever we were going. And I was already into rock climbing as something I was interested in. And I just thought, this is God's paradise for rock climbing. Wow. So I ended up, I basically ended up staying. And I've been here ever since. Wow. The, the, the round Australia trip, <laughs> yes. I yeah. got as far as Katoomba yes. and that was yeah. it. You know, the rest but of the trip became inconsequential. Yeah. I yes. found my destination. Wow. Yeah. I've heard that, that the mountains call you. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, people who need, who need to come here 
yeah. um, find find their way. Um, I had the same with me eight years ago, mate. Yeah. Well, so yeah. uh, so how in, how interesting. Yeah. 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 So it was, and it's I had no story. idea about anything yeah. to do with the Blue Mountains whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, I just knew I knew maybe there was some climbing there, and mm-hmm. I was into climbing, and yeah. I go, oh yeah. But I got here and immediately fell in with a great crowd of people right. uh, who were outdoor uh, climbing guides. Right. I immediately, uh, I applied for a job with the Blue Mountain Adventure Company, which was run by Andrew Penny at the time, and he graciously gave me a job. Right. And I think I talked my way into it. I said, listen, I'm a first aid instructor. Yeah. What could possibly yeah. go wrong? And, yeah. I've uh, ridden, and, you know, I've ridden around asset. Australia on a bike. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm an asset. Yeah. You've got to employ me. Yeah. So uh, he ended up employing me, and I ended up uh, teaching climbing and guiding in canyons and a bit of biking and that sort of thing. And I did that for a while, uh, which was fantastic. I moved then into outdoor education, working with school kids in the bush and taking kids on programs, uh, teaching them navigation, independence skills, bushcraft, um, teaching them a bit about climbing and paddling and was that through your current work? At yeah, the time, well, that was, was that, through? Uh, that was through a, a couple of different companies. Southbound Adventures had started up a, okay. another company down in the Illawarra, out and about. Oh. Uh, and some of us uh, climbing guides, we ended up sort of moving into that field. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. sort of an emerging field mm-hmm. in the, in the yeah, 90s. It was. It was. Uh, there weren't any qualifications at that stage. No. It was if you were enthusiastic, you had a level head, mm-hmm. you yep. knew what you were on about, and you could manage a group of kids well and, and relate to them, then you know, yeah. they gave you a job. Yeah, yeah. So I did that for a few years uh, wow. and had a great time of it, really did, and, and introduced... I would say hundreds of kids to life uh, outside school and their parents and how to be independent, uh, taught them the important lessons about consequences for actions, Mm -hmm. things like that. You know, we pack our bags like this and we waterproof them because if we fall over in the river as we're Mm -hmm. crossing it, everything will get wet. So if you don't do a good job, then there are consequences for those actions. If you don't set your tent right, Mm. then you know then it'll leak mm. you know that those sorts of immediate little lessons which are mm. so great yeah. oh powerful uh, I mean, powerful stuff isn't it <laughs> well it's all about survival it's all about well-being it's all about success it's all about um you know tr- looking after the goods and ser- the yeah. goods that you've got um in your possession um if you get if you grasp that life lesson um you've got two-thirds of a mental health plan written just or, just, or, or just by out. that. You yes, know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know? I think one of the things that got me was when he first set out and then realised, you know, he's had to put his tail between his legs, come back on the, yeah. on the fire. And we all need that support from a, 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 an amazing partner, as you say. But by planning and, and doing it in small steps, small achievement. And, yes. and because not only that, that you must have come away from that conversation with a lot of self-belief as opposed to how you were before that. That's right. You know what you I know? mean? So yeah. A lot of t- it's just, yeah, it's you know, I'd bitten, I'd bitten off a big <laughs> chunk. Yeah. And what's more, I had set up an expectation amongst my friends that I was going to achieve this. I yeah. had a, a farewell yeah. party. Yeah. So then to be humble oh. enough to say, okay, I've actually kind of had a bit of a failure. I've fallen mm. in love, though. You know, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, got, I've come back and had mm-hmm. to sort of... People are like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Mm. Aren't you meant to be out riding around? So they said, oh, you know, oh, okay, well, okay, it didn't quite work out. I've, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to go again in two yeah. weeks, you know, yeah. and I re- rethought things and I headed off. And um, look, I guess, you know, it's about finding that inner strength. I, I reckon that trip was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Yeah. Uh, I really had to dig deep emotionally yeah. and physically to, to get here. Um, and in a way, you know, it was a real trial 
but it brought me here to the yeah. magnificent Blue Mountains, and I'm forever grateful for and it. And it's something we talk about, a serious light bulb moment as well, mm. isn't it, really? A turning mm. point in your mm. life. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's done yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. So, we, so you come to the mountains, you settle in, and, and, and what goes on there? Do you, when, do, when do you go into be becoming a paramedic? What's well, um, I, I worked in outdoor ed for a few years, and yeah. I realised quickly that after a few years of living in a tent, that uh, it was getting, it was starting to wear on me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, particularly I wanted to, two degrees. Yeah, to, yeah. particularly. <laughs> and um, I just wanted to do something a little more stable, I guess, uh, uh, have an income mm. uh, and also be able to establish myself somewhere with not continuously having to mm. depart for every couple of weeks, mm. be gone for two weeks. Mm. So uh, I'd done some other stuff in the meantime. I went and uh, worked for World Expedition Cycling in Vietnam. Mm. I did that for about six months. Uh, I did some travel, uh, travelled around the world, Europe, uh, the Americas and Asia, climbing and doing mm. that sort of thing, mm. and eventually got to a point where I felt like I really wanted to settle down. Right. So I ended up back in Katoomba, and by this stage I'm about sort of 28, 29, 30, uh, and a friend had applied for the ambulance service and gotten in, and I thought, that's something I can do. Uh, mm. I've got a lot of training. I'd actually been over to America and trained as a wilderness emergency medical but technician. everything today, oh, wow. everything up to this moment, it's the most perfect, you yeah. know, job for yeah. you, isn't well, it? Well, there's a, yeah, I, in fact, uh, we, we find that people who've come from an outdoor ed or an adventure guiding background yeah. make excellent paramedics yeah. Yeah. Uh, because uh, you need to be able to problem solve on the fly. Yeah. Uh, you need to manage dynamic scenes that are uncertain, have yeah. an element of risk to them. Yeah. It's a yeah. bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's unstable. Yeah. Uh, it's unstable. Yeah. Uh, you need to be able to communicate with people mm. well. I'll talk about that a little bit later, that yeah. uh, the, your communication skills, because that's something that really stood out for me when, when I, we first met. Um, which is exceptional. So you're going to... Uh, I apologise, I keep interrupting again. Yeah, sure, no. But so you're going to, to be becoming a paramedic. Yes. And then... And what, what happens in your personal life with relationships? You've, you've, well, you've I was with a... I had uh, settled down with a partner in right. Katoomba uh, and I ended up being a stepdad to her son. And, um, okay. And uh, he was two at the time. And Kalani has grown up to be a Kalani. fine, yeah, yeah, a fine young man. Yeah. Uh, he's an exceptional, exceptional man. He's actually, I could talk about it. I could do a whole other show. Yeah. In fact, you should have Kalani in yeah. to do a show about him. But, right. uh, he spent time in Nepal. He's run charities. He makes films. Oh, I think wow. you mentioned briefly, yeah, yeah when wow. we spoke on the phone about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's made some films. He's just come back from the Melbourne International Film Festival where he's had a oh, short wow. film uh, accepted there. Uh, he's been over in South Korea, had a film accepted over in South Korea. And yeah, 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 yeah. There was an article about him in the Gazette some yeah, weeks ago. do something about the... Maybe and he's doing a, ma- a project called Mountain of Youth at the moment, which right. is working with Katoomba kids, yeah, I think uh, making, teaching them the art of filmmaking. There you go. Oh. Yeah. So um, I, became a, I became a dad to Kalani, yeah. uh, and uh, that was in itself uh, a challenge. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, I joined the Ambulance Service of New South Wales. Wow. And, and here I am to this day, yeah. you know, so what year was 25 that? years later. 25 uh, years ago. So uh, yeah, so in uh, 1998 or 97 yeah. it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so... And, and how was it when... when okay, so you, when, when you first joined the, 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 the paramedics... Yeah. Uh, how was it then? Like, I mean, there must be so many changes, so many pieces of legislation that have come in and, and mm. you've had to get particularly the mental health act which yes. i really want to get to yes of course perhaps we might get to in about 15 minutes time after a short break but 
How was it when you first started? What, did it feel chaotic? Was it a bit? Oh, look, it was. Uh, it was a. It was a, a bit every, of a shock. Yeah. You know, okay. to tell you the truth, like oh. it's. It doesn't matter how much training you've got. Nothing until you st- until you step in the role, you really don't know yeah. what is going to happen, mm. how mm. you're going, how that stuff is going to sit yeah. with you, yeah. how you're going to cope with those those scenes, those very sometimes quite shocking and mm-hmm. uh, mm. disturbing scenes. Mm. But eventually, you settle into the role. You know, well, I have, mm. um, and there have been times when it's been absolutely, it's really challenged me. Mm. And, but mostly it's a very, it's a very look, it's a very positive role. But um, at that stage, we didn't have university degrees to prepare us uh, for. So all the people who are coming into the job now uh, yeah. are coming in with a university degree in paramedicine. Yeah. That wasn't the case when I joined. We did a vocational training. We did a, I did a three-month training program with Ambulance New South Wales down at the headquarters at Roselle. We lived in. It was very immersive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Love, who doesn't love an immersive training program? <laughs> yeah. uh, and then we were, you know, spat out onto the road, so to speak. Uh, I joined, I ended up working in Penrith, uh, Penrith, Tregear, uh, wow. Parramatta okay. were wow. the areas where I did my initial wow. training. Oh. Uh, and it was, uh, it was, Busiest, well, it was busy. Busiest yes. place in, uh, the, in the country. Yeah, busiest in that, place between in the country. Penrith and, and Parra. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, it was busy awesome. then. It's busier now. You're dealing mm-hmm. with you know, the yeah. you know, like now it's at this whole new level of busy that's incredible. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so I learned the art. I learned the trade uh, by learning from other paramedics, mm. uh, who my training officers. Mm. Some of them had been in the job for, you know, thirty years. Uh, mm. Kevin Laws, uh, bless his soul, now departed, who trained me at Tregear. He was an old school paramedic, or at that stage we were ambulance officers, mm. and uh, he had all sorts of interesting stories about life around Tregear and Mount Druitt, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. jobs that he'd been to, crazy scenes, you know, places. He, you know, I remember him telling me one night they got called to a fight in the street and they rocked up on the street in Mount Druitt and mm. there was a riot mm. going on and there were men fighting with clubs and knives all around the ambulance. They had to lock the doors down. Wow. And then one of, one of the guys got stabbed on the back step wow. of the ambulance. Yeah. And once, you know, they ended up sort of uh, opening up the, the back doors, grabbing him, dragging him into the ambulance oh and goodness. then speeding off with him, you know. Wow. Like cra- a crazy this scene. mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, absolute it's madness. Um, so, yeah, so I ended up sort of doing my training there. Then in the year 2003, I think it was, I became an intensive care paramedic. So I'd been about five years in the job and I applied and got into uh, the intensive care paramedic program. Just explain the difference between the two, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. So, uh, well, we're all called paramedics now. Uh, Back then, uh, there were ambulance officers and then there were intensive care paramedics who worked, who had some extra training. We had extra pharmacologies that we could administer. We could do things like give, for example, morphine for pain relief. We could give cardiac drugs for people who had cardiac issues. Minor operations, holes in their lungs. Sticking holes in their chest to decompress lungs. Uh, We could do things like manage an airway with an endotracheal tube, so putting a tube down into the airway to be able to ventilate a patient, which is the sort of... We're talking about the domain of the anaesthetist now. Right, yeah. so we had more training, more pharmacologies, and a new paradigm of thinking, right. if that makes yeah. sense. Uh, and so I came out on the road. I ended up doing my training at uh, Blacktown 
and had a, a crazy training period with all sorts of absolutely insane jobs at that time, mm. as there almost always is anyway, but mm. uh, did like people trapped under trains. No, uh, we, did, yeah. we did cardiac arrests in nightclubs, you know, mm. in the community. We had stabbings house fires, stabbings, people poisoned, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I took that all in my stride and it was all part of my training to be able to you know, bring those chaotic scenes into some measure of control, mm. uh, to be able to exert an influence over those scenes, wow. to be able to extract a person from that and then essentially try and stabilise that person in some capacity and then obviously transport them to the emergency department. And the knowledge, it's phenomenal. And the knowledge of chemistry that you've got to know as a paramedic... I mean, the thousands of medications that are out there. I mean, yes. for example, when you came and got me afterwards and we had to run through my medicine and yep. you're like, okay, what's this, what's that on you? You were across every one of them, yep. Yep. you know? And, and, and I guess that you learn to an extent a certain... But the, these are so many things that just the everyday bloke wouldn't really... No, not necessarily. ...understand or no, appreciate. Not unless you're having to take them yourself for a medical yeah. condition. Exactly. You know? mm. uh, but yeah. often people don't know the, about the medication they're taking. It's just a list. Yeah. It's, it's pills in a, in a Webster pack or something yeah. like that that they yeah. have to take every, every morning, every arvo. So I did that for a couple of years. Then in, uh, in 2007, an opportunity arose within the ambulance service where they wanted to establish a new level of clinical care. Uh, and that level was called the Extended Care uh, Program, Extended Care Paramedic Program. Uh, it was based on a UK model, and it's now we're thinking about paramedics working somewhere between the role of being a doctor, a nurse, and a paramedic. Yeah. Well, and a pharmacist. Yeah. And, yeah, and a pharmacist, right. Yeah. So I ended up, starting, I ended up uh, joining Class 1. I'm very privileged to have been in Class 1. And there were 12 of us. We had uh, Dr. Jason Bendel, who is, in, in fact, he's a, a fabulous physician and a, he's a paramedic himself who has gone on to become, become, okay. become, become a, a doctor. Become a doctor. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, and quite a visionary, really. And he started this program uh, with him and Dr. Andrew Bauer and uh, some other paramedics joined in. There were 12 students, all of us very experienced. Yeah. D Dr. Andrew Bauer, he's the trauma uh, doctor. I, I think I've seen him. Um, I think he's been on TV or on ads about... Mm. No, okay. No, be, no, probably not. Different, so I beg uh, different doctor. Yeah. Um, so, and then they basically skilled us up to work like GPs. Wow. So, it, uh, to attend all those jobs, though, what we call low acuity work. So, we're not talking about people in cardiac arrest or we're okay. talking about somebody who has had, for example, a dislocated shoulder. Right. Uh, you know, to go to assess that shoulder, to be able to reduce it, pop it in, wow. uh, to be able to then uh, refer that patient on to um, either for imaging or referral for physiotherapy. Uh, it might be changing a urinary catheter. All right. uh, it might be suturing wounds or mm. treating somebody with a urinary tract infection or a chest infection. Yeah. So working for that stuff where we think we can work with that patient in the community and then uh, safely, when possible, refer them on to uh, care with their GP, uh, with uh, <laughs> community health, uh, give them proper advice and let them care for at home or, if need be, send them up to the emergency department. Yeah, but this is it relieving a lot of stress, ideally, yeah. in the emergency, in the ED, isn't That's it? That's the yeah. plan. Yeah. That is the plan. So, and when was this, I beg your pardon? So that was in 2007, that program started. Wow. Uh, it's gone from strength to strength. I can uh, only it's imagine. It's still in existence I bet today. it's more intense every year it is. <laughs> it's just well, more, yes, more you know, shit being added every year. Yeah, well, actually, the, uh, the amount of low acuity work that the ambulance service fields 
today is, is huge. It's phenomenal. Um, not everyone is calling because they're having a heart attack, they're having an asthma attack or mm. uh, because mm. they've been in a car accident. In fact, those jobs are few and far between. Really what people are calling us for is things like they've had a fall, um, they're feeling unwell, uh, they're depressed. Uh, there's a lot of mental health stuff there yeah, that comes yeah. into it. Um, I need some health advice. Mm. Uh, I've got COVID uh, is the sort of the one that mm. we've been fielding the last few years. <coughs> and so it's about finding uh, a safe and effective treatment for that patient in their home, which means being very thorough with yeah. them. Mm. Generally, we spend two to three hours on scene with these patients Gee, if we need that's to. Uh, that's quite uh, we really like to tick all our boxes and yep, make yeah. sure everything is yeah. done very, very thoroughly. Uh, and then we provide documentation and where safe we then refer them to the GP or yep. community health or so on. It's a great program. Uh, if ever you've had the opportunity to have an extended care paramedic program come and visit you, you'll know that they're providing an absolutely premium service. Mm. Uh, mm. And uh, this, we did some research into it. It was safe. People mm. were immensely satisfied with it. And then we just started rolling out these courses. Uh, and then we were doing about two courses a year. And what I ended up doing was I ended up teaching those courses. So because I was there as sort of from, from the beginning and the get-go and was involved in the whole initial research project associated with it, which proved itself to be, you know, it was a safe and effective treatment pathway. I ended up then taking groups of paramedic students. We'd have them for 10 weeks at Nepean School of Medicine, uh, Sydney University School of Medicine down at Nepean, and we would train them to become these extended care paramedics. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so that's what I've been up to. All right. Wow. Well, <laughs> there's so much to come in because I want to come back and I want to get Bodhi's thoughts and I, and I wanted to also perhaps occasionally we do a bit of role playing. Sure. Um, and I think with the recent events um, in the rugby league world, but, but also to uh, a chap, Zave, uh, if you're listening, mate, uh, uh, much love and, and huge kudos to you for hanging in there, man. Uh, the chap that I've been speaking to that's pretty much come to his wit's end, but he's turning around, he's choosing to fight, which is wonderful. But I want to perhaps put with the three of us, um, and I'm happy to be the patient, um, about what happens when somebody is is choosing to, to end their life and, okay. and how we go about questioning that. What are the questions? What is the conversation that starts between the paramedic? Yep. And you put me over to... Bodhi or someone that there is there to help. So okay. we'll just have a quick break and I think we'll come back to that and it's going to be pretty raw. It's going to be pretty confronting. So, um, um, you know, I, I, I suggest you tune in, but um, this is real and, and this is raw and this is uh, it's a men's mental health show. And uh, we've got Christian Mortensen uh, with us today, um, who's a paramedic. And of course, we're joined every week uh, uh, by my co-host and good mate, Bodhi Marsden, psychotherapist. Uh, you can get Bodhi on 0424 416929. 969. 0424 416969. All right, we're just going. Kind of, oh, Jesus Christ, I fucked that up all the time. I beg your pardon. We'll be back in just a moment. I get and welcome back, everyone. Um, all right, we're, we're going to do something um, perhaps. Uh, we haven't done this for a while, buddy, or I, for, for a good 18 months or so, but we used to do a bit of role playing. And. Um, I'd like everyone to sort of listen in and, and, and welcome to everybody that's listening to on the podcast uh, back through the feed, uh, wherever you are, be it here or abroad. Um, we thank you. This can be practised, I'm sure, anywhere. So 
um, yeah, strap yourselves in. Let's uh, let's let's go with this. Okay. All right. Um, I'm a myself. I've uh, okay. I've, I've I've called for help, okay. um, or or someone's called. Someone's called. The, Often a family member or a friend. Yeah, someone's called, and, and I'm down at the park, and I've got yeah. and I've got some um, apparatus with me, and I'm prepared to end my life. So okay. I've got a I've got a plan, and, and everything's in place, and and uh, and and you turn up, and, okay. and I'm sitting down, and I'm 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 in tears. Really. Okay, alrighty. Um, well, it depends when we so when we for a, for a start when we get this job. Uh, we get notes that come down with the job. Right. Uh, so we get told, uh, so we can prepare ourselves. Right. And uh, going to mental health jobs is uh, so actually, unfortunately, our bread and butter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that, uh, we, that gets asked is, is the patient armed? Right. Or are okay. they, yes. is there a possibility that they mm. are, are going to be violent? Mm. Because that can happen as well. Yeah. Uh, are they drug affected? Uh, whether either alcohol or substances, but uh, what sort of scene can we expect ourselves to walk into? Yeah. Now, if we've got bipolar, um, have been known to, to be violent in the past. Don't okay. have any weapons, but, okay. but I don't. I don't want the police. I don't like the police. Anymore. Okay, I don't fair enough. And commonly, people don't. Right. Um, especially, you know, if they've had previous experiences with them, and, and sure. they, it's disagreeable. But nonetheless, uh, my safety and the safety of my colleague becomes paramount. Mm. So typically, if we feel that the scene is going to be unstable, mm-hmm. uh, that there is a component of agitation in the patient, mm-hmm. uh, that they are suicidal, and certainly if they have some sort of mechanical means to do that, mm. if they're armed, mm. then inevitably we will have police attend mm. with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we work very closely with the police, and we have an excellent relationship. Uh, with the police Uh, and the police and the paramedics are charged with the responsibility of keeping uh, the patient safe Mm. uh, in this case from themselves keeping ourselves safe each Mm. other safe Mm. and the public safe just just quickly also too can you just explain and this is something that's been quite new now is you weren't able to find say unless you weren't you weren't able to find me at this park okay um and we don't know where he is, but he's got his phone with him. Yeah. Just explain what's changed in the last 12 months or so of being able to find or locate where I am. Well, that, that's a little bit uh, beyond my skill set. I'm not right. the one to do the location. Uh, we, right. will give, we will get given a location. Okay. We, we get given a description. So VKG or AAA yeah, will, yeah. will be able to do that. Yeah, they will, they will be able to, if the patient's calling in on a phone, I right. mean, generally we just say, you know, where are you? Yeah. Uh, you know, let's start mm-hmm. with, with simple measures. Mm. Um, what does the person look like? That sort of thing. What are you wearing? You sure. know, if you're in a public space, mm. and uh, if if that doesn't happen to be the case, th- I think they the police can triangulate a rough position yes. of where the phone is. Yeah. And that's, uh, a, that's that's relatively new, that isn't it? You know, I think they yeah maybe in the last few years possibly. Right. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't give you a figure yeah. on that exactly. Yeah. Uh, but typically speaking, we're at an address. Yeah. Uh, we're in a house. Yeah. Uh, we might be in a public space. Sometimes we find people in the bush. Yeah. That can be a bit trickier because yeah. uh, yeah. we're now talking about a search in the bush and yeah. I've had to do that previously as well. Mm. Or we're looking for a car. Mm. That's right. the other thing yeah. too is we're looking for a number plate. We're looking for a model of car and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so if that patient, if you are agitated, mm. uh, if you're armed, then I'm not going to be coming into that scene unless the police are present. Right. right. Okay. And because uh, you're somewhat, you know, people in that situation are somewhat unpredictable. 
mm. and uh, we just need to make sure that we're safe as, sure. we, as we come in. So what that means is basically the police arrive, we arrive with the police, and then we enter the scene together. Okay. Uh, and yep. we establish a safe scene. Right. That's okay. step one. So that usually that starts with a conversation. Mm. And uh, the conversation, typically, uh, I, I will start to talk to the patient and yep. I just use, I use a calm and reassuring voice and, mm. hey, what's mm. going on? Spillo, what's happening today? How are you feeling? Oh, you know, my, my wife's left me. Um, you know, I've, I've lost my job. I've, you know, I've, I've really been putting a lot of pressure, I guess, on, on everyone. And I just think I'd be doing everyone a favour if I'm not here. And, you know, I'm just at the point where I'll, I want to know what it's like on the other side mm. because I'm not enjoying the side I'm on at the moment. Yeah, okay. I can hear, I can hear that uh, things are very tough for you at the moment and mm. it's distressing. That sounds like you're, you, things are, aren't going well and, and you're very, um, you're very uh, unsettled and unhappy. And mm. It also sounds like you're suicidal. Mm. Uh, are, are you feeling suicidal at the moment? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Have you got a plan? Oh, that's what I've, I've come here to do. I've, okay. I came down here because, you know, I just want to know if I've got it in me. It's, uh, it's been uh, just compounding week after week day after day hour after hour and and it, it, i'm completely exhausted and i've had enough I'm, okay it sounds like nothing more in me sounds like things are really tough going at the moment for you mm. uh we're here to support you mm. and to get you assistance uh that's going to be really important right mm. now uh and the reason why the police are here is just to help keep you safe and keep mm. me safe uh, they're just here, not because it's on any criminal matter, but because they're charged with the responsibility of looking after people who are distressed and yeah, well, I don't in a mental health crisis. Them. I don't want to talk to the police. Fair enough. You don't have to talk to the police. I you, don't? Can just, you can just talk to me. That's okay. Okay. Um, I think at this stage, uh, the best thing that we can do for you is to have you come up and have a chat to the mental health team up at the hospital. How do you feel Wh about that? Where's that? Where's somebody's just going to go up there and get inside my head and make things worse? Uh, hopefully not. Uh, that's certainly not what we want. We wanted you to. We need to make sure that you're safe. That's that's important. All right. and, and how uh, long do I have to go there for, mate? Can I? Can I? If, if what's what happens there? A good, that's a good question. So what happens is we'll head up to the emergency department. Uh, I have a chat to the triage nurse there about your situation and the stresses that are going on in your life and where you're at mm. um, and any other medical or health issues that might be going on at the same time because sometimes that's also the case. Mm. Uh, then we will um, we'll leave you, end up leaving you there at, at the emergency department to chat to the mental health team. Right. So you have a chat to the doctors. Uh, the doctors can talk to you and then make a decision about how best to proceed uh, with looking after you and your care. Right. All right, well, let's, let's get to the hospital now. Mm -hmm. Whilst I'm at the hospital, I run into Bodie, who's the psychiatrist or physician there. What, what do you want? What, so I'm the psychiatrist? Yeah, you're, you're the therapist <coughs> now. And you're, you've um, got me what do you want? What are you, what are you here to do? Uh, I well, um, I've never sort of uh, been in that situation, but I guess what I'd be uh, wanting, wanting to sort of... Uh, is build a relationship with you, you, yeah. know, you know, to let you know that I'm interested in um, uh, seeing um, mm. what's going on for you, how mm. you understand that, 
what you think you need, um, what would be helpful, what have you done before yeah. if, if you've reached out, what did work, what, mm. what strategies have you put in place to, um, you know, um, yeah, and, and, and then let, and keep, keep saying to you, mate, I'm listening, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, your story's important to us. You know what I mean? And you're important to us. And the thing I'd start to say is, so, so how, how are you feeling about yourself at the moment? Well, I fucking hate myself. Okay. Um, so I, I might say, is, is that working for you? And you might say something like, no, it's, it's not working me for here. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's got me here. Was it? Yeah, yeah, it's got, it's got you here. So, that, so then I might say, well, if we can help, the way we can begin to start a conversation mm. with you is how can we shift that kind of hating mm. self thing mm. um, um, to uh, something about acceptance or something about loving or something about having a future. And trust, um, yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, um, because having a future um, starts to actually open up uh, yeah. the possibility of how might I recover from this really low place I find myself in right at this point in time. So, uh, so stepping outside of now the role play, what particularly draws me to you first of all Christian is the way you've gone about de-escalating and 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 the most common thing that I've been through and that I've seen with other men is first and foremost is anger mm. now they're extremely angry or, yep. or upset mm-hmm. and, and yep. men men often show their sadness through anger true it's it's a it's and they push that out and yeah. Hearing the way that you've come about that was, first of all, to, to somehow form a connection or a bond, mm. whether that be where have you been today or who do you know or how long have you been there? Hey, I've been there. I know that. Whatever. It's yeah. just form that sort of a bond because then there's a little bit of trust. Is that, that's, yeah. Yeah. It's a common thing? Yes. Well, we need to, um, you need to establish a relationship pretty quickly with right. the person. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then you need to really have a, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, Things like, are they affected by alcohol? Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah sure. that's, that's a very different yeah. sort of person. <clears throat> yeah. Are they affected by amphetamines? Yeah. Right. Uh, are they in a psychosis? Uh-huh. Okay. So yeah. there's a spectrum of mental health stuff, you know, extending from, yes, I'm depressed, I'm not coping, I'm fi- to, you know, I'm feeling suicidal. I'm hearing voices, I'm seeing things. To, you know, I'm, uh, to being fulminant, absolutely, uh, you know, hallucinating, auditory hallucinations, uh, disordered with no logical thinking and thought and, and so on. So immediately I can see that, uh, A, you can communicate with me, mm. uh, that I can make a connection with you and that I can assist you, I can calm you mm. by letting you know that I recognise you, uh, I feel compassion to you and your story is important mm. to me. But you never made any promises that you couldn't keep either. No. Did no, you? because, um, well, look, as soon as you uh, start to describe the fact that you're suicidal, mm. I already know that you're going to be, you're going to have gonna to come, be, you're going to come with me to the hospital. Section. Let's, yeah. let's be straight out. Yes. what it's called, section. Yeah, it's you're a gonna horrible come, term, but yes. it's what it is. Yeah. We, so we enact I'm in the minimum 24, 48 hours. Yeah, so we enact a section 20 under the Mental yep. Health Act, yep. uh, which uh, enables us to transport a patient either willingly or unwillingly, up to the emergency department for, for emergency care for their mental health state. Okay. And uh, we don't do it lightly, put it that way. No. So it is done in the patient's best interests. Well, let's, um, let's be straight out. I mean, yeah. some would say that some people look at it as self-murder. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty serious... Yes. It's about as serious as it gets. That's right, exactly. 
Uh, and, you know, people, uh, we, f we find people in dark and desperate places in their lives. Uh, and not everyone wants to come to the hospital, by all means. They've had bad experiences previously or they've got other things going on in their life. You know, look, I've got a... You know, I've got a, something I've got to do tomorrow or mm. I've got to, you know, this doesn't suit me or, you know, because not everyone has a full-blown plan to actually end their lives. A lot, sometimes it's just they're depressed and, and feeling like they want to cut themselves or, yeah. or hurt themselves, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. But at that stage, uh, it becomes clear to us that we need to have that person up in the ED. And, and what I like to offer them is the opportunity to come with me and come and walk, take a step into the ambulance and have a conversation yeah. on the way up and it's amazing. be able to unload a little bit about what's going on in their life and let, just, just let them know that they're valued, you know, because, mm. because you mm. are. All our patients are very well valued, yeah. uh, as is everyone, mm. you know, in the community. Absolutely. Um, and uh, anyway, look, for what you it's... You tell them how much they're worth, yeah, yeah. how much they mean and, and, and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and then, you know, we, when, when Bodhi was, 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 was talking, once... We're up there and we see a physician or you, you generally see both a psychologist yes. and a psychiatrist. That's right. Um, and it, it, it's simple, quite simple to really work out the difference between the two mm. ones to sort of mm. medicate. Mm. Um, ha happy to listen some of them, not, not a lot of them, but um, and, and the psychologist is there to do therapy, if you like, or what Bodhi does as a psychotherapist. Hard work. But I think with... Now, as opposed to 10, 15 years ago, the Mental Health Act has changed so much. Mm. Um, and, and there is, I guess, a lot of negativity surrounding the lack of support or funding or whatever that we have. But the, it, let's, let's be honest with what it is. It's better than what it was. Yes. And with that, we have some seriously, like yourself, talented people that genuinely care, that want to help. And as what Bodhi was getting at was to starting when you are at this, this is as low as you're possibly going to get in your life. Let's, it, it sure. is. I've mm, been yeah, there, yeah, of course. I've been there 2014. <clears throat> it yep. doesn't get any lower, I can assure you. Mm. To then to start building it back up with a mental health plan. Yes. And I guess between the both of you, we've spoken about it a few times. Maybe I'll start with you both. What is a mental health plan? And how do we start that? Or how does that... Do we, do we bring a lot of people into it, many friends, much family, or do we, do we limit it down with friends and family and then with our therapist or, or whoever we're doing that therapy with? Well, I guess What's the, a good mental health plan consist of? I don't really work with mental health plans, but what I, what I do work with men um, and uh, adolescent boys is um, a toolkit. Yeah. A toolkit for them. Um, to uh, to be able to utilise, to understand, to to actually work with for themselves. So what is it they have to learn? So the first thing I, I, I say um, in terms of this developing their own personal toolkit mm. is be okay about getting help. That's number one. Yeah. Be okay about getting help. Good point. So, <clears throat> so that's the first, let that's the the first cab off the rank. Yeah. 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 Feel okay about getting help. Mm. Because a lot of um, men and a lot of uh, adolescent boys um, uh, either sh have a shame thing going on yeah. um, or an anxiety thing, a fear thing going on about actually op opening up to, to somebody to say, you know, my world is dark. You know, that's a big thing to actually start mm. to sort of uh, uh, open up to. You're never too sure what that might mean, you know, mm. uh, to someone or what they might, where they might run with that and that mm. sort of stuff. So if you're... 
we're very wary about other people's agenda um, mm. to uh, start to uh, accept they're getting help um, as a first step. That that is a big big thing to to, to move on. Mm. But the second thing I I, I, wor- I work with is um, <clears throat> where you're at at the moment, um, and so a, a lot of the feelings will be very negative. Yeah, mm. so there'll be self hatred. Um, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a waste of space. Yeah. You know, I'm a burden. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm a burden to to myself and others. Um, I can't see a future. All that sort of stuff. So we sort of kind of get all that all that self descriptions out mm, mm. Um, and then I start to actually sort of kind of work with the idea of what would be a redescription what would that what could that look like and that might take um, you know a number of discussions over a period of time to look at redescriptions but one thing that's really help, helpful is to actually start to to suggest to them that parts of themselves are struggling so there's a part of me that's distressed. There's a part of me that's an overwhelm. But so, so is there another? You go straight to the what you may feel is the failure of, of yourself. Yeah, yeah, straight yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, straight to it and say straight up. Can you honest. accept that that's a part of you? It's not all of you. Yes. Because one of the kind of places Brilliant. where you can, where you come into an idea of giving up on life, the yeah. ending your life, is there is nothing else. Mm. That's you know, mm. as Anthony uh, Field said, the blue wiggle. Right. Yeah. You, you you get the idea that suicide is the solution. Mm. Oh, that's and he right. said, yeah. and that can have such a reach into yeah. your, uh, you know, to, to the truth of you mm. that um, there's nothing else. Mm. I finally worked it out. Yeah. I'm going to end my life. Yeah. So that com- global uh, position, global mm. insight, global understanding, kind of want to break that up a little bit yeah. to say okay a part of you th- is thinking about that yeah is there another part of you um that might have a different view can we talk to that part mm. so mm. i'm i'm sort of trying to um that's going straight at it this is what i love mm. what hearing you both talk <clears throat> yeah sorry boats keep going mate yeah. the other that, so the third element of the toolkit is um can we have a a, a bit of a talk about what you see a Problems or difficulties, right. stuff you right. you wrestle with. Okay, so it's my finances. Say, I've got no money. I can't afford to live anywhere. I'm living yeah, yeah, in my car. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, um, alcohol is the only thing that actually gives me oh, some relief. Uh, you know, ten- alcohol just helps numb everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so we want to know about that. Um, we want to, we want to know about um, what also happens when when um, people get in your way. Well, there's a flood of anger and rage. Yeah. Okay, so how does that feel? How does that work for you? Mm. How long has this been going on for? So we're sitting in those kind of understanding of problems because if a person is unwilling to accept that their current solutions to their dilemma or their predicament Mm. um, uh, isn't working, Mm. is hostile to their well-being, then, then um, you know, I want to help them to see that because if we're looking to make change, mm. we have to be realistic about what is not working currently in your situation, yeah. in yeah. order to begin to explore solutions, mm. other ways of being. Yeah, love it. Number yeah. four, you got a trusted friend or yeah. friends. Yeah. If you haven't, how can we start to build, build up? something from there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So family. Um, Ah, uh, well, they, you know, I've and, written, and, written them off. They think I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who who can you talk to? Who? Getting a mate that's going to tell you straight up yeah. how it is. Like Just like Christian. That's, that's it. Gonna, it's going to be empathetic. It. Nothing that Christian said here 
as a paramedic, there was not a speck of sympathy. Yeah. But yeah. there was a shitload of empathy. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. because the last thing you want is, I'm telling you, when you're wanting to end it all, is be someone being sympathetic towards you. It just makes you even angrier. Mm. You know. Yeah. Or maybe if they, some people might towards the cause of what has caused them to get to where they are. Okay. But getting a mate that's being brutally honest with you, a trusted friend, and who's willing to talk the real talk. That's know? right. Yeah. And, yeah. and friends. So you want, you want to open up a, a, a and ask these a questions that you were just talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Number five. A willingness to tell it how it is. Mm. So ins- instead of bottling up um, and refusing to actually sort of kind of explore kind of the, the reality that, you, that mm. you're dealing with, um, um, let's uh, so a willingness to actually open up, mm. to tell it how it is, um, instead of bottling up your misery, because th- that can only take you into the final solution. So a willingness to open up. Okay. So this is part of your toolkit. So this yeah. is the sort of things I'm starting to do. This is awesome. Yeah. We'll put this up on the page. I think we've got this up on the page, the Men's Mental Health Show page, but we'll put this up again. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, the, the other next tool, number six, is an openness for new ideas. New oh, okay. ideas about who you are, right. rather than the ones that you've received from experience or life or, or these are the convictions that you've made because of reality <laughs> around you. Yeah. An openness to new ideas. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so you can kind of visualize that yeah. as stepping back from your story yeah. of woe and misery yeah. and to say what other story is possible Aye. for you. Yeah. Um, then change. So <laughs> how can we start to think about change? I'm not fucking changing for you. Know, you know, when the, uh, often the response is, I'm not yeah. changing for yeah. anybody. Yeah. This is who I am. If you can't take me who I am. Mm. You know, so there's a mm. real defensive uh, a sense of uh, don't try and change me. Yeah. Okay, mm. so uh, an important toolkit is how to see change as a badge of honour, your badge of honour. If oh. you want to be a warrior, if you want to become an adult, yeah. Yeah. you're going to have to accept yeah. that at some point you have to change some stuff. Yeah. 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 So what so the questions that I'm saying to the person would be, what can you change? Where, where's your starting point for some change? What are you willing to think about that you're willing to change? And um, if 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 we if at that point um, they're blocking the idea of change, um, then sitting with that um, um, and, and and it's not about cajolery or persuasion but it's to sit with the rawness of stuckness around change. And if we can start to kind of lever up some possibility that a, a change around maybe drug consumption um, or avoiding people um, or cutting oneself off, that that, may, that is too lonely a place, um, then the, that, that change is a condition for recovery for healing, for moving beyond your woundedness. The next thing I'd be arguing (coughs) about is making small steps. Adam Miller. Remember Adam Miller that came in with a tattoo? He looked like if you saw him across the street. Yep. One of his big things, wasn't it? Yep, absolutely. So making small steps. Mm. Turning those small steps into an ongoing practice or a new habit. All right. Yeah. Mm. Ten... You're doing pretty well when you're starting to sort of have these toolkits operational in your kit. Share your success with others on your new path. Because that helps build 
your own self-confidence, doesn't it? That's right. You know, when you hear Christian, sorry, you go. Yeah. I was just saying that these these are fabulous steps, and in a, in a sense, in a in a neuro uh, physiology sense, you're talking about neuroplasticity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. You're talking absolutely. about uh, retraining yeah. the brain and, and taking positive steps yeah, towards absolutely. healing uh, and establishing those healthy habits within mm. your mind, the, the, mm. the, the inner dialogue that we go through. Absolutely. Uh, about Absolutely. Uh, rehearsing that, rehearsing the positive yeah. things that you can um, establish in your mind through these steps that you've just described. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do that enough, the neurons that you know, yeah. fire together, wire together. So yeah. Yeah. basically yeah. we actually change the physical structure mm. of our brain mm. uh, to accommodate and relearn. I read that in a book called Buddha's Brain. Yeah, okay. Yeah, which yeah. was written by neuroscientists. So, yes. yeah, it's, it's so uh, very, po- very positive steps. That's how we learn, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You know? absolutely. And cool. we can do that throughout the entirety of our lives. Mm. Absolutely, because we are experiential. I mean, it, learning is essentially experiential. So exactly. um, it's what happens to us and it's... What, con- what conclusions we draw, and sometimes those conclusions have become um, problematic, you know, they're yeah, maladaptive yeah. over time. So, so we are a learning species. Um, become a role model. You yeah. know, the, the last toolkit has become yeah. a role model oh, and help others to actually... Yes. Well, isn't that right? Like yes. how Christian's oh, gone fantastic. into doing being yeah. a teacher, you yeah. know, as yeah. well as doing Absolutely. what he's doing mm. every day Absolutely. as a paramedic. Yeah. 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 But what a fine example mm. as to, mm. you know... And, you, and, and your success... Successes are measured on your failings, aren't mm, they? Mm. On how you come back from yeah, your failings. True, absolutely. And, 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 and what? So, and how I, I was at one stage, I guess not not the the time where I I made my serious attempt. I think it was the time before that. What it felt like psychologically was it, my computer said no. It, mm. Everything had crashed. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I, one stage, I couldn't. I, I all I did was stutter for. Mm. Uh, I must have been a, a week. Hmm. I couldn't talk properly. Wow. And it was just, I was completely shattered and, and, and everything. And I had to restart. I did. I, so, and hearing that, these are terrific steps for a toolkit. Yeah, fantastic. And, and, and hearing, you know, your, your, the, the, the calm nature, the validation, the, the, the asking the questions that are so, what we feel naturally mm. are so hard to ask. Mm. Are, are you suicidal? Mm. Uh, have you got a plan? Mm. Have you thought about doing this? Mm. They're very confronting questions. To have extremely to ask confronting sure. and confronting for people to have to answer as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's yeah. uncomfortable to say it here now. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. And the, I guess this is not really a question I should ask, but I'm going to. Yeah. Here, in the mountains, there's a success of people that you see seeking help. Yeah. How successful is it? What are their outcomes generally? How? Well, generally uh, they're good. They are, wow. they're, they're positive. They're, they're, positive they're positive outcomes. Um, wow. Which isn't to say that there, you know, things can't reoccur, and no, no, that, that will somewhat depend on whether the the person is willing to take those steps that yeah. Bodhi you've just described. Mm, 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 but if mm. you're prepared to answer those questions honestly within yourself, oh, yeah. and, and to take those small steps towards mental health and well-being. Mm. which is a holistic thing. It's physical health, it's mental health, it's, yeah. it's making, um, you know, smart choices, I guess, mm. in your life about mm. the sorts of things that we give ourselves over to. Uh, then, uh, yes, then people can heal. And I, I've had 
patients and people who I know who've actually ended up as some of my patients, people I've known socially who've ended up as patients, yeah. who've had, um, you know, who've been very in very dark and desperate places. Who yeah, no, then yeah. years later, you know, have sort of come up and thanked me, you know, for the, you know, the care that I've given them in, in the small capacity that I have. But mm. yes, they have healed mm. themselves and, and have moved on and, and uh, are doing well within their lives. I, 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 I gentlemen, I think if, listening to this if if i'm listening on, on live now or as a as a podcaster uh, listening back as a podcast they, these are incredible steps both tools as Bodhi says and the tools that you put forward mm. um the the fact of de-escalation is building trust and then asking and validating the situation and then in case of what you've said Bodhi, it's rebuilding and getting that help and that help does work now, it's like what I've said to, to this fellow, Zave. I, I, I said, you know, he sat on the bench and he said to me, you know, what's it like? Uh, you know, I'm going to get there. And I said, you know what, Zave, this is your, this is your light bulb moment. You mm. will not get any lower than this. Mm. So feel this and sit with this. And I'll sit here with you as long as it takes. But sit there and feel this. Yeah, yeah. Because every step forward now is one at a time. And it's just a small thing to rebuild and to build himself back up. He's still in his car down there. Yeah. And I don't know. How, and that, to, to me, that takes strength. He, yeah, you get, I couldn't sleep in my bloody car. It's a mm. one, mm. It was one degree last night. Yeah, yeah. Even in Hazelbrook. Tough mad. lifestyle. It, it mm. is. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and you must be seeing them And yeah, increasingly, more and more. increasingly common too, mm. especially mm. with the shortage of houses in the Blue Mountains at the moment. Hard, really hard to get a rental. Mm. Uh, the, you know, the, the yeah tough really yeah. tough on a lot of people who've grown up in the mountains and suddenly have found themselves either having to move away from the mountains or or yeah live in a car or live in a tent or and, and these things build compound on mental yeah. health issues yeah, they build they definitely in, do. uh, don't they yeah you know, they, they, they get you after a while yeah, for sure yeah um, you, i mean the people you've got to be able to i guess be honest really honest with yourself mm. uh and do the work and and you know accept assistance mm. when it's available uh, and then take those small steps, like the small steps that I took to cycle to eventually to yeah, get yeah, here to, to the get, Blue absolutely. Mountains, mm. you know. Yeah. Uh, initially and not be afraid of so, failure. Yeah, don't yeah. be afraid of failure because yeah. there will be setbacks. Mm. Um, mm. But if you're prepared to uh, give it a go, uh, accept some help and have a bit of a, you know, have a structured plan, like, yeah. like as you've described, Bodhi. Then, yeah. uh, and then at the end of that, um, look, for me, it's about... My job as a paramedic is very rewarding because I'm giving assistance to other people yeah. and it really it validates me as, as a person mm. as well. Mm. I feel worthwhile. I feel like I'm contributing to society. Mm. Um, and I say to people sometimes who are in a dark and desperate place, look, if you can come out of this and then find a way back to uh, a, positive, a positive state of well-being think about giving assistance to other people in some capacity uh, and providing uh, your experience and assisting them in some way <laughs> because wow. if you've come back through that through that process yeah. and you've arrived back at a healthy state of being um, then there's so many lessons that you can impart and provide assistance to other people well so said well said it's, it's brilliant you know, isn't and it? here I we mean, are here we are brilliant. you know yeah, yeah, doing yeah, this yeah, yeah. 
yeah. great podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and show for Blue, uh, Blue FM. Um, and that's what it's about, you know. It's about giving back to the yeah. community because it, it is. is it, it, it builds you up and you feel like good inside. It's a good mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah, it's, that, it's my drug of choice. <laughs> it's, it, it is. It, 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 sure. it, it is. And, and it's a powerful you, you drug. Get a, you get, a, you get yeah. high. Well, I, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, I've done a fair few of them through my, my, my <laughs> earlier years and, and nothing is better than this. And I, and I mean that. You know, I get so many people that say so many lovely, beautiful things to me and that, that helps me do this with Bodie, yeah, week in and week out. And, um, you know, but, but, but it's not a smidgen on what you do. And I just admire uh, what you do. I wanted to actually, when we're coming sort of up to, we've got quarter past, and, and it might be a bit of a change of subject. But when I spoke to you last night, Christian, yep. you talked about in palliative care. Yes. And Bodie has done a lot of work up here with in palliative care as well. Yeah. And I guess there's another uh, topic that we, we, we try and steer clear of. Mm. Or if we have a loved one or an mm. elderly mm. member mm. in it's our unsavory. family. It's unsavoury. People don't discuss it. We don't want mm. to go and no. see them. We know they're dying mm. and it's mm. because we've, we're scared. It, yeah. it, that's the biggest... Yeah, it's confronting. It, it is. Yeah, it's confronting. Um, important things to remember in life is that at some point we all die. And um, I've seen a lot of people die over the years. Uh, It is a natural process. We we all have a a finite time on this this earth. Uh, You certainly don't look like you have any fear of dying. (laughs) Well, well you know, I've, I've put myself in some pretty, risky, no, yeah. some pretty risky situations, yeah. you know, through climbing and adventuring and, and the like, and also also through my work. But um, no, look, I take uh, positive, I take, you know, steps towards health and well-being. I don't want to sort of shuffle off right now. Mm. But, but look, we, we do go to people who are at, in their end-of-life process, and uh, sometimes that is done exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And they are well supported uh, by the health system and by their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those jobs are an absolute gem to go to. Yeah. Even though you know somebody's dying, look, they leave you with such. If it's done well, there's nothing better than going to um, where somebody is in palliative care in their home, yeah. and they are surrounded by family who are loving, and the person is comfortable, being well managed. And they're getting to spend their final time uh, with cherished, uh, cherished members of the, who they've loved in their lives, mm-hmm. compared to the emergency department, which is a little clinical, impersonal, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, which isn't to say you know the emergency department is a bad place. You'll receive a lot of compassion and care there yeah. while you're there yeah. by a very highly trained team. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes that's not what, what you want in, no. in your end of life. And if your family are prepared to walk those steps, and those are difficult steps to walk yeah. and difficult roles to adopt, then people who are, you know, who are dying, for example, from cancer uh, and who are there at home and looked after by a competent and a loved one or family yeah. group, they're just, it's, just got, it's absolutely golden. Like in my mind, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a isn't great, that, it's a great that, way to, to finish up your time on what, Earth. That's what it's about. Could, are you okay to share that story without mentioning yeah, names yeah, that no. we spoke so, of yesterday? Um, I mean, we've got just over 10 minutes left. Okay. So if you're well, right I, I, did a, I, I did a job recently where I attended a family uh, who I know personally uh, where Dad was, was passing away. And they were in a bit of a desperate place uh, in terms of feeling uncertain about 
uh, where he was at, uh, did he need some sort of clinical intervention, were they doing the right thing by him and he was very much wanted to pass away at home uh, wow. but of course what that means is then that the family the responsibility falls squarely on the on family them. on the family's shoulders uh, it's one thing to and want to die. That can be complicated. That can be complicated, and that's one thing to want to die at home, and it's another thing to actually um, have the family who are prepared to go walk those steps. So we have in the ambulance service, we have palliative care pathways and training that we go through, wow. um, and our role is to support the family as best as possible and support the patient, and then make a decision, a clinical decision about uh, what, what, how we can best best serve them. Sometimes that does mean a trip to hospital uh, for an intervention that can be performed that may extend their life or make them more comfortable. Or sometimes it's just providing education and reassurance to the family. So I went to this address uh, with my partner, uh, another paramedic, James, uh, and what I basically did was go through a, a series of clinical assessments on, on, on the gentleman uh, who was dying uh, and worked out very quickly that he was he was very very sick and his his end of to- his life was sort of coming to an end. Yeah. Um, however, there were some reversible causes that I identified. Uh, so there was some treatment that I could provide which may extend his life. What by a day or two? Or <laughs> Who talking, knows? You it, don't know. It could you be can... hours. It could right. be a day. It could be a week. But it it's, could a, be a month. it's more than what he's got. It's more than what he's got. Wow. So and, and then, this might allow. Sorry people for me to stay or yeah so um, basically uh, he had a large family not everyone had come had managed to arrive yet uh, to be there with him and so we had to have a very sort of frank conversation uh, with the family and I, now the patient he wasn't in any fit state to actually have that conversation with me uh, he wasn't uh, capable of talking at this stage but I had a I was communicating with his uh, immediate family and we actually we then uh, connected up with uh, his uh, palliative care doctor as well on the phone. So it was after hours, and it was, I was very grateful that we could get onto the palliative care doctor after hours. Right. And then there was a discussion about look why he, at this stage he was septic. Um, you know he had, a, he had a, an infection that was raging at this stage. He was very hot, and there was a few things going on. Oh Trying to identify what what was the what cause. was the uh, the cause yeah. of that, the focus of the fever. Uh, and then did we want to do so did the family want to do something about that uh, if nothing was going to be done it was inevitable that he this was going to like be, gonna it, was, it was going to happen soon mm. uh, or should we provide an intervention like antibiotics and I carry a full range of antibiotics with me that we could target the infection and then would that a extend his life b make him more comfortable and c were those his wishes um, wow. So that was a that was wow. quite a conversation to have with them, with the doctor, with the family, uh, with him just sort of in the background, um, you know, reclining in the bed, and he, he didn't really participate in that discussion, uh, and he wasn't. He, I don't think at that stage he was capable of making a decision about it. Right. So in the end, we decided I would leave the antibiotics with the family. Uh, I gave them some advice and some education around giving pain relief, uh, making sure that their technique, that they were uncertain about different dosages and things like that, reaffirming that, yes, they were doing a great job uh, and, that, yep. you know, the setup was great. Um, did the paperwork and then we ended up leaving the scene. So we spent probably about two and a half, three hours there. 
They ended up giving him the antibiotics. They made a decision after I departed to start the antibiotics. Wow. And he actually, he picked up. Uh, he, uh, it fought the infection wow. that was going on. Okay. He ended up um, regaining some strength. Family, other family members arrived from around Australia and they were able to be there and present with him when he passed away a couple of weeks later. Oh, so it extended wow. his life by a couple of weeks. And then um, I've received feedback from that family since then saying that they were very gratified to have us there just to reassure them, to be able to run through some conversations, some very frank and uh, honest conversation with them about his end-of-life care. That's and incredible, It man. worked That's out very so well powerful. for them. So it was, yeah, it, yeah. it was a really good Beautiful. job to attend. Yeah. And yeah. I felt uh, like I'd actually really achieved something yeah, on that yeah, shift. Yeah. No, well, you did. And I, uh, I mean, what I'm sort of sitting with is this feeling of um, reassurance for the, uh, the family who are oh. in, in attendance um, that they are doing the right thing, that this is a journey, um, here's some assistance, uh, here's some options that you have got. So you resource them to resource uh, the person who was um, you know, in his dying time um, so that that journey could be completed in a way that left everybody um, uh, 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 um, in a good place. Yes, they yeah, were yeah. in a good place. And as I understand, place. Yeah. he died very comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. He had his yeah. wife there and he's surrounded by his yeah. family and yeah. his kids. Yeah. Everyone had an Everyone opportunity there. to come. Everyone had an opportunity to, to come, come and say goodbye. How incredibly powerful and it was really it was a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. what a, a beautiful story, mate. The, the 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 what was what then happened, we did went and did another job immediately then after, which was a, a lady in a, a local nursing home right. who was also dying. All right. Now, there was no family in attendance. No. She was elderly. She was critically unwell. Uh, I'd had her previously as a patient. I was shocked to see the state that she was in in terms of her decline in her health. She oh. was being well looked after by the nursing home, but there was a could. lot of physiological yeah. processes going on yeah, that meant yeah, it was yeah. the end of her life. Yeah. She went to the emergency department. The, uh, there was no family there. Oh, the, fa the doctors found who the family were, rang the family who were down in Sydney, and they said, no, nah, we don't want to have anything to do with her. Wow. Oh, and she died, alone. she died alone. Yeah. And to me, it was like chalk and cheese. It was like the ideal to she the... Torch you up to like a... Yeah. And then dropped the like a pie, mate. Exactly. You know? Like splat. Splatted. Just flattened. Uh, Absolutely it flattened. just, in my mind, reaffirmed how important it is to be, you know... To, well, well I, I, mate, there's, there's so, we've got to wrap this up, but there's so many teachings um, and lessons and, 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 and skills from Bodhi and, and tools and there's so much to take away from this. Um, I, I'd really love to have you back in a couple of weeks sure. if you're free yeah. um, because there's a few topics that I want to sort of talk about perhaps from your perspective um, we, we've gone down a path earlier this year where we've really had a bit of a goal, Bodhi and I, uh, and, and we're against toxic masculinity, but we're all about in areas where as men we can do better. Okay. Um, and we've talked about DV. Um, you know, I've spoken to Susie Van Opdorf. I'd like to get yep. her back on and talk a bit about what's happening with coercive control. But I'd also like to get your perspective on some of these things and areas because you seem like a fine example of, of a, a, a specimen Why, of a man, um, and, as well as Bodhi, of course, um, of course. to continue this. But, yes. mate, Christian Mortensen, uh, thank you, man. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, been it's been a, a pleasure. It's, it's been great to chat to you it's guys. It's been quite a cathartic experience for me sitting mm -hmm. here. Um, and, and, and thank you to you too, Bates. Can I finish with my poem? 
100%. Oh, of course. Let's We've hear it. We've got plenty of time. You go right ahead. <laughs> this is for your friend, Zena. Uh, Zena. Uh, so I worked with her in community development um, over many years um, in the Māori community, uh, gangs, as you've mentioned. Um, and, and she um, was a rock. Uh, and I felt to deepen my guts that I wanted to honour um, the relationship that I had with Zena over the years. She broke my reticence with a smile, a warm glance, radiant, self-aware, open to us Pākehā, white people. I took a chance to smile back, knowing little, yet knowing in that instant she was a woman with deep knowledge and charisma. Her voice was a melody of fire, truth, change and justice. My Catholic heart and soul yearning for veritas Hearing her story, the words that echoed my own inchoate daring, she spoke to renewal, healing, the deep scar of injustices, inscribed on her people by a cloud of white predatory locusts. The doctrine of discovery, a cruel tool of blatant dispossession, tattooed upon their acquisitional brains. This unstoppable maw, like the plagues of old, lay waste to a prior and proud culture. She spoke to the trauma of this desolation. She spoke to the loss of language and its resurgence in Te Kohangareo, family creating nested spaces for ritual, song, oratory, dance, words and story and rhyme, kai, food and sleep for a return to a deep embodied wellness. Ōtara, the suburb where Whakaho, a young group of Māori and Polynesian, birthed at her behest, commanding a difference that made a crucial difference. So many irons she gathered, an alchemy to forge a transformative path, honed in the soils of Aotearoa. Though not alone, always rooted in whānau, that was her way, that was her ancestors' way. Zena had a mind wrought by her people, her history, generations past, and those arising. She was also herself, threading her words to the verities in her bones. That power had a perilous history, that power unhinged from love, empathy, and kōrero was another plague upon those she loved. Her soul reached out beyond the usual debate and demarcations. So many memories of Yuzina, a storehouse of treasured moments, altering our hearts forever. You have passed, though your smile, your laughter, keen intellect, flashing eyes, willingness for talk, along with the occasional scolding, is a legacy forever. Kakiteano, Zina. That's a beautiful nod, oh, folks, and she still speaks to you today. Today, you know, it's Mate, beautiful. When I was writing that, I fell out yesterday, and um, 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 and she was mysteriously present, so I could feel her. So. Beautiful, <laughs> powerful piece. Thank you again, Christian. Oh, thank, you, thank, thank you, mate. Thanks, beautiful poem. Um, and uh, we'll see you next week on the Men's Mental Health Show. We might have uh, Susie Van Ofdorp join us. Otherwise, we're going to have Christian back either absolutely next I'd week or, or, or the week after. We've got so much to talk about. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.